Well, the winter storms are crashing in and they are coming. They're getting stronger. And this is going to be a heck of a winter. Look, here in D.C., we've had snow three times already. We barely had any last year. The lake out back where I live, my little lake, it's already been frozen over for two weeks straight. Solid. So much for global warming, right? But that is why you need to pay attention and you need to prepare now. Because not only do we have the problems of Bidenflation, we have the problems of what is going on with our food supply, our supply chains, and the bare shelves that my wife and so many other people are seeing when they go out to the shopping, um, to go shopping. So that is why it's not just for emergencies. You need to go now, get your long-term storage, your emergency food supply from my Patriot Supply right now. You can save less than $50 on a four-week emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. So where do you go? It's very simple. Preparewithposo.com today. You save $50 if you go there on a four-week kit. The website is preparewithposo.com. So act now. This is the time for action. You get a four-week kit over 2,000 calories per day. Gives you the energy you need if you're going to be one of those situations. You get one for each person in your family. You work it out. Um, You can do the math to figure out what makes sense for your family. And you know what else you should do? Because we saw what happened on I-95 back then when it got shut down in the state of Virginia. Go throw one in the trunk of your car. You do not know if you're going to be out there. You're going to be caught overnight. Just have one of those emergency food kits in there because, you know, God forbid, like with me, we've got two little boys. If something ever happened when we were on a road trip, I would just love to know to have that peace of mind that, look, I got a blanket. I got a flare. I've got some emergency kit for my car, but then I've also got food for the family should, God forbid, we get caught in one of those situations. So the website is preparewithposo.com. Go there today, take action. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily on Turning Point USA. Today's top stories, NBC is not sending announcers to the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing due to Omicron. I'm gonna read that headline again because it makes so much sense. NBC will not send announcers to the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing due to Omicron. Okay, next, Ukraine officials are shocked as President Biden gave a green light to a Russian incursion. Third, a new Ashley Babbitt video, this is actually really important, has come out showing that she did not look like she was part of the violent mob. We'll break it down. And then finally, the 5G rollout disaster. Secretary Pete is AWOL and telecoms and airlines are in tailspin. All this and more head, Human Events Daily. The 2022 Winter Olympics are coming up in Beijing. And I've said before, and I'm going to say it again, these Olympic Games should not be being held in Beijing at this time. Look at everything that the CCP has done in its history. Not only, you know, the 50 years of history. Forget about that for a second. Just look at the last 18 months of what Xi Jinping, this guy who is about to declare himself chairman for life, has done in terms of Wuhan, the lab, gain-of-function experiments, working with Dr. Fauci behind the scenes, going through and gobbling up all the PPE while sending flights outside of China, knowing that there was a pandemic virus circulating within the country. He allowed the flights to continue. Do not let that 
go. Because we're certainly not here. These Olympics in Beijing, which will take place in two weeks, are a coronation. They are a world coronation of Xi Jinping, not only as chairman for life, but potentially as the next hegemon. Because if you saw this President Biden press conference yesterday, you know this guy's not the one in charge. President Biden has always been a number two. Previously, that was to President Obama. Now, it's to Chairman Xi Jinping. So NBC has come out and said, well, we're not going to be sending sports announcers to the 2022 World Olympics due to COVID-19 outbreaks. <laughs> so explain this to me. NBC won't be sending reporters. Right, you get it, right? They won't send the reporters because of the threat of Omicron. Yet all the sports teams are going to be sending people. Diplomats are going to be going. Delegations are going to be going. Do you understand? This is Understand the directional flow of power that you're seeing here. It is from the rest of the world to Beijing and specifically to Chairman Xi Jinping because 2008, the last time China held the Olympics, Xi Jinping was not yet in power. He was waiting in the wings. He was coming up. He was already the Shanghai party boss, but he was working his way in. Then 2012. This is 2022, the 10 years that he was supposed to step down. But now he is going to be coronated as chairman for life. And so go look, by the way, at what's going on inside China right now. Drones flying around announcing the lockdowns. And what that drone is saying for people who, um, who aren't watching, that's a drone, a quadcopter flying around with a megaphone on it that's repeating a message, announcement, your area, your neighborhood is now under lockdown by the local party health authorities. So understand, this is what's going on within China. You got NBC, who paid all this money years ago to get the coverage for the Olympic Games. Now, I understand that's all done years in advance, they're not even sending reporters to the Beijing Olympics. Why is anyone going to Beijing here? You know, go back in time a little bit, 1980, this is what's so crazy, you know, the way the world turns, we've always been at war with East Asia, right? In 1980, the United States boycotted the Olympics in Moscow. You know who else boycotted those Olympics from the Soviet Union? China. China boycotted along with us, they held, uh, they was called like the Freedom Games and they were held in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania at Franklin Field. Those games, US and China held together and that was 1980. So here we are, right, 40 years later and it's a complete reversal, yet we are not, we are not responding. Why? Because understand, we are a tributary state to the new hegemon, Zhongguo. 
So President Biden gave, of course, this uh, rambling, incoherent press conference yesterday, went up for two hours as a way to prove himself, prove himself to the world. I can do it. I've got the stamina. Yeah, of course, it was at 4 p.m., but not actually in prime time because 4 p.m. is prime time for President Biden. So, yeah, all right. Here's what's really going on. He gave a statement yesterday, and I think everyone's heard it at this point. I'm not even going to play the clip. But he essentially said that if all Russia does is a limited incursion in Ukraine, those eastern provinces, then the United States will not have a forceful response. Now, in real time, I'm watching this. You can follow my Twitter. You know, I picked up on that because that's the world I come from, geopolitics, international relations. Look, you just undercut your own secretary of state that landed on Kiev a couple hours before. You said the quiet part out loud. You don't give away your negotiating position, right? We understand. We understand that the asking price always has to be, the starting point always has to be, you will give us nothing, right? We will give up nothing and you will give us everything. That has to be your starting point. This is how like, just basic negotiations work. But then you also already have your fallback position. So your fallback position is the one that you say, all right, well, if we have to compromise, we'll compromise here. So I don't get everything that I want, you don't get everything that you want, but I know that I can live with this fallback position. What President Biden said was the fallback position. That's probably what he was told that Tony Blinken was going to do behind the scenes if it came to that. But you don't say it publicly, Joe. You don't say it publicly. And this situation has completely gotten out of hand. So listen to, and I apologize to everybody because we do have to have Jake Tapper a little bit in this clip, but then also the response from Ukraine. Were Biden's remarks interpreted there as a less than wholehearted uh, warning to Putin to not invade? Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's uh, an understatement. I mean, they, they watched those remarks, I think, I think with horror. Uh, one uh, Ukrainian official who I've been in close contact with while this marathon press conference is underway said that he was, you know, I'm quoting here, shocked uh, that President Biden would give a green light to Vladimir Putin in this way, um, that the US president would distinguish between an incursion and an invasion, and then suggest that a minor incursion would, would, would elicit you know, a lesser response than a more, a more full invasion. So there you go. Gives up the entire negotiating position. So of course, you know, Putin and the rest of the Russians, look, they understand. The position on this, by the way, it's, it's not only is it clear, it's historic, right? Just go and look. I've said it a million times. Geography is destiny. Geography is destiny. China and Hong Kong, China and Taiwan, right? You can't change the geography. Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, you can't change the geography. Dig into that map. I mean, let's show a map break right here. Russia has most of its population in the West. I know Siberia is, you know, huge on the map. It's big, but it's not really all that populated. You know, maybe the cities in the Russian Far East, very like Vladivostok. But essentially, Siberia, you can discount that as, as actually being populated. The, the vast majority of the Russian population is in the West. That's where the railroads are. That's where railways. That's where the bulk of their economic activity takes place. It's all in the West. The problem with the Russian West is that it's largely landlocked. 
or in areas where they have a little bit of touch on the ocean, for example, Rostov on Don or St. Petersburg, right? Those are the two major ports that aren't completely locked in by the Arctic Ocean, which obviously you can't use for most of the year. Those are all protected by choke points, by sea lines. So your sea lines of communication, your slocks, are all dependent now on the Baltics, dependent on the UK if you get out to the wider Atlantic Ocean because you've got Greenland, Iceland, and then the UK, so you've got the gaps there, and then of course the Black Sea. So this is Russia's greatest geostrategic problem. This is also why Syria was so important to Russia because they also maintain a, a naval port there um, on the Syrian coastline, which gives them access to the Eastern Mediterranean. If you want to be a major power in the world, you need to have a sea presence. And so that's what this is all about. It is about Russia maintaining a sea presence and then being able, of course, to control that. That's why they need good relations with Turkey, because Turkey controls the Bosphorus Strait at the opening, right, the doorway to the Black Sea, which then they're able to come up through. That's why they were never going to allow Crimea to be taken away from them. Like, it's just basic stuff. It's just really basic stuff. So, you know, look at a map and understand, you know, the strategy isn't that hard to figure out. But, of course, most people couldn't find any of these places on a map. Joe Biden, President Biden, cannot unring this bell. He cannot unring this bell. Nothing that Saki or Secretary Blinken or any of these people put out are going to be able to walk back what he just did. And if you're Taiwan, if you're Taiwan, you might as well just start mining the strait right now. Because not only did Moscow hear this, but Beijing heard it as well. And so a minor incursion, well, what does that mean in terms of the Taiwan situation, right? This was a monumental diplomatic failure by this administration, period, full stop. All right, so now we know that the winter storms are coming. The Northeast, the Midwest, even Texas has another winter ice storm coming. If you are out there, go and get your order. And now MyPillow.com, you use promo code POSO, you bundle up. They got the My Slipper sale that just launched. They got the betting sale that's going on for all of January. You go in, get your gear upgraded before the winter storms hit. The Saskatchewan Screamer, we've heard that's coming down from Canada. Don't even be in the path of that thing without going to upgrade to some warm sleepwear, the slippers, the robes, the blankets. You will be fine all winter. MyPillow.com, promo code POSO. So switching from geopolitics to domestic politics, the story of Ashley Babbitt. Now, this is a story that has been circulating for over a year, over a complete year now in the media. Today, of course, being the one-year anniversary of President Biden's inauguration as president. Yet we've got new video out for the first time in over a year on Ashley Babbitt, who was the protester who was shot and killed, the only person who died um, in terms of a homicide on January 6th, the only person who was killed that day. Ashley Babbitt pleaded with police to call for backup moments before she was shot and killed. This is from Epoch Times, breaking it down. Moments before she was shot and killed, Ashley Babbitt confronted the police officers guarding the doors to the Speaker's lobby at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, blasting them for allowing rioters to smash the windows and not calling for backup. An analysis of a new journalist's video shows the analysis comes on the heels of recent disclosures that Babbitt tried at least four times 
to stop the assault on the speaker's lobby. It shows her desperation when rioters were left unchecked, even smashing a window just inches from a police officer's head. In the video shot by independent journalist Taylor Hansen, Babbitt, 35, is seen trailing rioter Zachary Allum, attempting to go between him and one of the three police officers at the speaker's lobby's double doors. Babbitt tried to get in between Allum and one of the other officers. She said something to Allum, but he brushed her off. She said, call for help. She said, we're allowed to be here. Then when they wouldn't call for help, Babbitt can be heard yelling, take it down, meaning that she wanted the people to calm down. You could tell that she was getting upset, Hansen said. Go and look at this video. Ashley Babbitt was not part of the violent mob. She shows up with one other protester, and then they're calmly talking to police, and then a mob comes over and starts attacking the doorways. This was not shown previously. So this is something that I think really changes the way we should look at this situation. Take a look. Man, you are covered. I thought I was bad. You got it way worse. Hey, do you need water or something? So you see her standing there. She's talking to the police officer. She's being very calm. She's not attacking anyone, clearly. Now, obviously, she's protesting, but she's not being violent. And that's key here. Because moments later, just a few moments later, she is shot and killed by Lieutenant Michael Burt, who apparently is standing right on the other side of the door from them, right through the glass, watching all of this, right? So a few moments later, what happens? Okay, the mob shows up. She then starts yelling at the mob. She yells, stop. She says, don't do this. But of course, we do see in the video that once the glass is broken, she then climbs up and tries to go through the window. At that point, Lieutenant Michael Byrd reaches forward with his gun, shoots and kills her. Why then, if she wasn't participating in the violence prior to this, did she go through the window? Her husband has come forward with the way he's viewing the situation. He said, I believe she saw the action as odd or off. She was a take charge kind of person. I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but I can hear the confused panic in her voice. I knew something was off from that whole situation. And when I look at it and I'm reviewing the footage, she probably got claustrophobic because more and more people kept pouring in and she realized she was in a bad situation surrounded by violent rioters. So she then pushed her way over to the window area to try to escape the riot. Was Ashley Babbitt trying to escape the mob and run to officers for help and for safety to get away from a violent mob? I think a lot of people need to look down really hard at this situation and understand what happened here. Well, the 5G rollout that was supposed to happen this week has been an unmitigated disaster. The telecoms, the airlines are in a tailspin. Yeah, I said it, I said it, they're in a tailspin. But listen to this. Boeing shares tank 3.5% after firm admits its 777 and 787 planes are vulnerable to interference from 5G signals, wipes $5 billion off the company's value in a single day. What else? Emirates president has slammed the 5G rollout, saying that is the most delinquent mess he's seen in his entire career. He's blaming Secretary Pete for doing nothing to stop the chaos after dozens of flights were canceled. 
AT&T and Verizon launched their, their net 5G network across America, turning on 4,500 new towers. But the network has not yet been launched near some U.S. airports due to concerns over safety. Now, you got this from Emirates, Air India, Japan Airlines, Al Nippon. They are all canceling flights over this 5G issue. Secretary Pete, where are you at on this? He's off the radar. He's AWOL. You can't find this guy. Nowhere to be found. Open skies over at the DOT. And does this really surprise us? So apparently, we now find out on the day that it was supposed to launch that apparently these new 5G towers here in the U.S., which are different, they actually have different frequencies, different settings than the ones in the EU and the ones that are used worldwide, apparently don't work with Boeing 777s and 787s. Do you think that deconfliction could have been something that Secretary Pete or you know anybody in the government may have wanted to take a look at before they launched this thing out after $81 billion were spent on this entire infrastructure uh, project. So go listen to Secretary Pete try to explain what exactly is going on here. The FAA's bottom line has to be safety. And uh, obviously, even one catastrophic accident, accident out of a million is unacceptable. Uh, so as you can imagine, uh, there is a lot of complex analysis and a lot of rigor that goes into this. Uh, this has been a subject of uh, a lot of discussion for quite a while. And in particular, I appreciate the wireless carriers being willing to work with us to uh, help get the kind of data that's going to be needed so that these two technologies can coexist safely. And I'm convinced that they can. How long will this assessment period last? Even overnight, uh, FAA was able to generate a lot of analyses that uh, allow more aircraft to operate with out as many restrictions and they're going to continue that work until we have a, a complete level of confidence that uh, the, the 5G deployment and all flight operations are going to be safe side by side, whatever that takes. So yeah, this is absolutely amazing, right? You know, and you think about it too, the radio spectrum is one of those things where we've generally decided that we should have some ability, some governance for people to come in and say, look, obviously we can't have confliction in these areas because if cell phone signals and 5G signals are trying to go out in the same bands, the same frequency bands as the airplane radios or, you know, these guidance uh, instructions, right? This is why we're told we're not allowed to have our cell phones on the plane, right? You know, that's going to be coming up next. But nobody even looked at it. Not a single person in government who's supposed to have this job is sitting there going, yeah, Wonder if this 5G, no. So anybody who mentions 5G gets written off, was attacked for years, right? And of course, we all know who paid for those attacks. You get written off, but now the airports are being shut down. Or the airplanes are being shut down. They say, oh, we can, you know, you can take a 777 or a 787 out of, the, out of the sky by turning on a 5G tower. Great job, Secretary Pete. Wonderful job. You're definitely in line for a promotion. That's it for us here at Human Events Daily. Folks, remember our motto to you, be good, be brief, be gone. And now your homework, I say this every day, go be the influence agent, share this out, one of your normie friends, leave us a review, five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, and go to Rumble if you're on the Rumble page, Getter if you're on the Getter page, go and just leave us that review, it really helps us out with the rankings. But before I leave you, we've got a very important moment of history today. Now today is the one year anniversary of the Biden administration, but if you go back, 1981, January 20th, the last day of Jimmy Carter's presidency, the start of President Reagan's presidency, but most importantly, 
the day that the 52 American hostages were let go from the U.S. Embassy in Tehran after 444 days held by the Islamic Republic. Our history is important. That's why they don't teach it to us. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.